Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player 2 episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we are at Chapter 10. Woohoo! And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, the team is freaking out. We've left last well, chapter with this revelation. What are we timing out for? We're timing out because we got to talk about level five. Ugh, okay. Um, we can keep going, though. No? We're just like, oh, oh, oh. No, don't go yet. <laughs> All right, it's, circle back. Level five. Level five, yeah. I mean... It's uh, level five. It, let me go to the page because it's kind of nice. And like, this is kind of, this made me feel, reminded me back about the first book. And so the, there's a quote called, it's cool to use the computer. Don't let the computer use you. There is a war going on. The battlefield's in the mind and the prize is the soul. With the symbol for the, the artist who at that time was formerly known as Prince. July 19th, 1999. So, first of all, I thought this quote was pretty cool. For one, because it's talking about the prize is the soul, which is the same kind of, that's the prize for this, uh, the seven shards, is the mm -hmm. siren soul. Right, right. Of course, the prize isn't just the soul. Like, now the prize is everyone's soul. Sure. But the song is called The Prize is the Soul. And I, I just thought that was perfect. The quote is, don't, it's cool to use the computer. Don't let the computer use you. Perfect mm -hmm. for this book. Battlefield's in the mind and the prize is the soul. This is just like. That's pretty spot on. That's pretty spot it, on. It, so that's kind of it, a nice pull. I'm not a big Prince fan. It's almost like, yeah, no, I'm not a Prince fan either. It's but it's, uh, yeah, it's almost like this inspired Klein, this quote inspired Klein, the plot of Ready Player Two. I can see that. I can see that. So, so that's why I didn't want to skip this. Oh, no, I totally get that. And in fact, I read it, but it's so easy to just kind of dip straight into the chapter and then get going. But we're coming out of everybody losing their freaking minds and coming into this episode with, with a better description of that. And we're, we're taking the fact that everyone's panicking and Z is beating himself up over it, literally pounding his fists into his head. He's getting very Rain Man-ish. Like, this is a num one, of, one of a number of symptoms of some degree of autism. So his response here, and it's funny because we talked in the first book about Halliday did have an autistic streak. Or he was suspected of having Asperger's, I think. Another element that connects him to Halliday, because yeah. if I remember rightly, Halliday was described as being somewhat on the spectrum as well. So I thought that was interesting coming in and that rather than Artie freaking out, Artie becomes the leader. I mean, she exemplifies leadership. And... You kind of expect that because of the direction her character took in the book. She's moved in the direction of leading a number of businesses. So she kind of reigns it in and she helps him rein it in. This to me, like also felt like a reversal of their first conversation in, in the Tomb of Horrors. When but she's maturing. No, but, 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 but like 
when she was kind of cursing herself out. Oh yeah. And he's telling her to, you know, calm down and like, don't be all rain man. Like this is a reversal. Right. Right. She was freaking out in front of me. This is, yeah, it's not only just, it feels like a maturing, like we're dealing with a more mature person, but yeah, like she did kind of freak out. She was sort of starstruck. Right. And she was concerned about you sort of being too verbose too much. So yeah, yeah, I could kind of see that. I totally see where you're going with that. But what this chapter really focuses in on is to secure any doubt in your mind that Ernest Klein had thought of every loophole that you might be thinking of, oh, Gunter fans. That if you thought, oh, well, why don't we just turn the internet off? They could be powerful enough to do that. They cover, right? If you turn off the internet, then it's supposed to log you out but that the mechanism for logging a person out is gone, which means if you turn off the internet, you're screwed. What about the big red button? Well, if he could get to it, if he could get to it, and they pressed it, it could still screw everyone up. And I like the fact that they're drilling in the fact here that the majority of them are in these giant protective coffins. And you'd kind of have to be. You got billions of dollars and and you're basically going to go into a semi-conscious state for a huge portion of your life. Somebody could break in, got to be protected. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're in an apocalyptic, you know, scenario where most people are still living in kind of shambles of the stacks where you may not necessarily have the, you know, the strongest lock on your door. And when people know you're going to be vulnerable and not really able to do anything. When they can track you online, they know that you're not, you're incapacitated, right? It only takes one person to go, yeah, Parzival's here. Great. We know he's incapacitated. If he wasn't in a tank, uh, somebody could come in. They would, you don't have to, at least when he's asleep, like the alarm systems would wake him up maybe, or if they got past the alarms, he could wake up. But when you're incapacitated like that, you are incapacitated. There's no alarm that's going to wake you up. And thus you have to be kind of in this sort of armor tank nestled deep down into the the grounds into a special tunnel. And the nice thing here is that instantly in my mind is like they could contact people on the outside, potentially from within, right? It's they're, they're still able to make phone calls from within the oasis to the outside. There could be people who have not come online that they call, don't get online, dude. Help us out. Come break us out, right? They pull them off the machines. Nah, nah can't have that. A majority of those people know that they've all got a variation of this fortress egg. And Some that people it do. That's take... got to be for the people that have cash, though. Because like, if you're working at if you're working at GSS, I'd say a lot of the top peeps have at, the at cash. GSS, at GSS, maybe, but you know, your average person. But they're not know. worried about trying to get the average person out. I mean, they are, but first and foremost, getting themselves out. Because if they're out then Anorak automatically loses and they can work on the problem. The big thing here is that they're trapped, right? They're screwed. They, yeah, exactly. Absolutely screwed. When they look at it, every direction, screwed. And I thought this chapter was great because I, I have to imagine that Ernest Klein was thinking on the last chapter. And he's like, you know what? People are going to come up with these ideas. <laughs> what about calling somebody and breaking them out of their cocoon? No, but it would take days to do it. That's how reinforced they are. <laughs> what about shutting off the internet? Uh-uh-uh, no. Can't do that. What about taking the servers offline? Uh-uh-uh, no. We'll still screw you up. What about reverse engineering the code? 
that Anorak went in and wrote is written in a language you can't read. Now, I find that particularly interesting. It's just that's kind of a weird quirk, but we're just going to pass over that because they go in and they look at it and they're going to have to decipher is really what it boils down to what he did to the firmware. And then it could take a long time to reverse engineer that. Okay, I get it. It's software coding software. They don't need it to be human readable because he's software. He can read it. He doesn't need anyone else. Probably not leaving notes in the code. So to yeah. me, a good portion of this chapter felt like like defining the box that our main characters are in and reinforcing the fact that they cannot get out of the box. They're screwed. They got to work in the box. So they're in a box. They're in a box. They're living in a box. What's in the box? (laughs) What's in the box? But Artie kind of pulls them together. She does kind of, you know, take charge and puts on a, you know, cool face or some other expression. She's playing. She's. She realizes she's just as screwed as they are. Yeah, and that these are her friends. At the end of the day, these are her friends. And saying, I told you so isn't going to do any good. It's not going to get them any closer. That she needs to pull them out of their negativity and, and their assumptions of how hopeless it is and get them into a place where they can do something. And I, I love sort of rallying the troops where she's looking them in the eye and saying, we are the high five. If anyone can do this, it's us. Right? And that she will not take any negativity going forward. And they're all kind of reluctant because they're in a slump, but they at least go, okay. So, yeah, she's got a lot of very, she sounds like a natural born leader here. Right. And, you know, she's like, being sorry isn't going to save anyone. So it's up to us. We're going to fix it. Right. And that's exactly like the game plan. And I mean, and Parzival's kind of cowering a little bit and having a little bit of a problem and she's taking the lead yeah. which makes sense because like she's if there's always that debate you're like who's the number one gunter was it really Parzival or was it really artemis and she's kind of being that kind of number one gunter right in the first book uh, i argued uh, a number of chapters in that i thought Parzival was the more gunter was more good right and uh, but now I think maybe in this book, what I'm starting to realize in this chapter, or at least what I would agree to, is that it isn't how much you know. It's that willingness to move forward and learn more, willingness to do, that she has a, a quicker grasp of the situation and what blocks them, and that she re- recognizes that it, it's going to take all of them to do it. The better Gunter is able to bring the forces together to bring the, the, the people together to aid. And at the end of the last book, Parzival did that. And in this book, Artie's doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if you think of Ready Play One in, by itself, it, it's a little bit of an easier argument to make in favor of Parzival because he did do some growing in that right. book. In this book, he has taken some significant leaps backward. Yeah, yeah. He has the cheat codes and, and the flavor to life is no matter how much stuff you've got around you, when you have all the money in the world and everything you wanted, you've got I mean, his entire life was striving to get to this point. And once you get there, once you've been given everything you wanted, what do you have left to do or live for that matter? It's kind of like when you order that thing on Amazon or wherever you want and like you're so excited for it. And then you and know, it gets there and then you're kind of like, there and you're like, what did I well, even order this? 
Yeah. And the things that are more lasting, that are pleasurable, the things that you take deep pride in that you put a lot of yourself into, they can give you the best high and then afterwards a low for not having anything else left to do. But you're right that there's that addiction to ordering that thing online and having it show up and being open, opening it. And for a moment, you're like, awesome, I got my, I got a present for myself. And this is like the story of adulting. And, and then you're like, that's cool. And then you set it off the side and you never get to it. You just never fucking get to it. You don't put it it's up. It's like my Seinfeld do anything Lego. That. Pardon me? It's like my Seinfeld Lego. Oh, wait, did you get it? Oh, I've had it. I just, I'm just waiting for the opportunity. The, well, the time to like say opportunity nah i've just been (laughs) busy i get it i get it it's fucking it's you're thrilled like awesome i've got it this is gonna be a great experience and then you never plan time for the experience so i totally get it yeah so you know how it is i do but Artie is fucking on it she's like we've got to get on this asafp and i love it and as soon as she's getting everybody and she's getting everybody into the correct mindset she's like she referenced the, the movie heat and the assume they got our phones, assume they they got our houses, assume they got us right here, right now, as we sit, everything, right. assume it all. It, it's making sure everybody's kind of thinking we're dealing with something that's smarter than all of us. So we have to assume that they know what we know. It's like from the birds. Now they know that we know that they know that we know. Exactly. It's getting everybody ready to play the game. Right. So, it, it, yeah, it's for you. Now they're sizing them up. Now they're trying to figure out not the, they want, they got to get they got to get their shit together they've got to get geared up and now they're sizing up their opponent and their opponent has some weaknesses for all the strengths that he that Anorak has he's got weaknesses too he's admitted to some probably we don't know all of them we know that he doesn't really connect well with people as Artie had said you know, he was crap as far as interrelationships were concerned and I, what i suspect here is that weakness is going to be something he didn't predict that he didn't simulate that he didn't put into his calculations as being a possibility would not have entered his mind. What I suspect is that the team is not just going to rely on people like the low five, that at some point I suspect they're going to have to get over this whole legal thing, which we'll get into in a minute, and they're going to have to tell everybody what's going on, and they're going to have to rally the troops once again for their own lives. Now, this is a guess, so I have no idea again. I have read beyond this chapter, but maybe a chapter more at best. So I really don't know. But that's kind of my suspicion is that maybe they're going to use that one weakness that they've mentioned in, I think, this chapter or maybe the last chapter that he's just not good at interpersonal relationships and that maybe he won't predict them doing anything in that kind of regard. But time will tell or the pages will turn to tell or something. I I I really enjoy hearing your predictions because I remember when I was first reading this and I was like trying to write down like my little predictions here and there and just it's fun <laughs> watching you suffer. It's so fun to see him flounder around on the ground like a fish out of water. Flopping, and I can't say like trying to cold, breathe cold, in reverse. Cold, warm, warm, or no, cold. No, no. no, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. Because that will take me away from potentially coming up with ideas that, you know, would have otherwise been cold, right? Yeah, no, it, we're, we're having fun. You're, you're yeah. not going too crazy, so. Uh, so we also kind of drill into the fact that Anorak is untrackable, right? He is an NPC, that none of the stuff, none of the artifacts that you can get in the game, 
that you could find people with work on an NPC. But indeed, they did create an artifact in the moment because they were able to, as Faisal kind of detailed out, that he is able to tell when the robes are near, within a proximity, within a presence. Like you can't spot them, you can't tell exactly where they are, but you can tell based on the signature of the item when it's within a certain proximity. And thus, they presented the bracelets of detection. Which How glow convenient. A, which are silver, but glow a bright red whenever Anorak's robes are within 100 meters radius. Which is, hey, that's a good chunk of space, right? It is, it is unless, like, I mean, for someone who can pop into existence like that. Right. Like, what good is knowing he's one foot away from you if you have zero seconds notice? Well, fine, but let's say that you've got to talk to someone. And he decides to inhabit someone else's body. No, I hear you. The, you know, there, and all of a there sudden your shit's glowing it. red and you're like, he's near. So you can be extra suspicious, right, of, of the people around you or nobody around you if he's invisible. But the gist is that you know, he can jump to where you are. This is true. But he'd be, he'd be invisible. You could just kind of stand there and go, we know you're here. What do you want? It's at least something. It's like a radar detector. It's not going to keep you from driving fast, but at least let's see when you've been caught. <laughs> you do. I enjoyed their thought process in trying to figure out ways to like get around this. And then we've got some cool references as they were kind of coming up with stuff like the uh, Star Trek Next Generation episode. Right. The, I, I thought that was a really With Moriarty, where, yeah. they put them in, where they basically put him into... Uh, what were the rooms a simulation, called? A simulation. It was, it was a simulation within a simulation that they could stick into a cube and he would be happy but trapped there. Best of both worlds, really. Yeah, but, but like, they had a number of pretty good references there. Yeah, it, this was a fun chapter, if, if for nothing else but the references. <laughs> but like, it, it, it was still a good chapter to kind of like see, see what everybody does in a crisis. Yeah. And like, who's, who rises to the occasion and who, who doesn't? Well, and, if you're kind of playing along with the game here, you should be in a certain degree of crisis as well. And if your brain is moving in, again, if you're in detective mode, then you're trying to figure out where are the holes? Like, why can't they do this thing? Or why can't they do that thing? And you're playing along. And again, in this chapter, it shoots you down from every angle. Like, I, at, at the end of this, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're kind of fucked. I'm not exactly... It, it, what we're doing here is we're basically saying, it's a bit like Willy Wonka saying, oh, no, you can't go backwards. You have to go forwards. That's how this works, right? Sorry, there's mm -hmm. no going backwards. It's only forward. Let's go. And with when you're dealing with a realm that has so much, let's call it magic, technology magic, the biggest problem you run into is that whenever you introduce the supernatural, and in this case, the technology is the supernatural, you open up the potential for holes in your narrative, right? You're like, well, why can't you do that? Because you could do it before. That's part of your that's part of your technology magic. Why can't you just turn everything off? You're powerful enough, aren't you? Right? So he had to come at this with all of your magic is gone. All of your technology angles have been cut. You are blocked in. There's no way back. We can only go forward. He's forcing them to comply. Like it would be if he didn't have these past two chapters really detailing even the finest level of potential hole that they could slip through. If he didn't do that, either they would look stupid for not thinking about it. You know, the reader would go, this is dumb. Shut book, go away. Or he'd get hammered. 
<laughs> it would be too easy, right? They'd be like, okay, I guess we better do this thing because he told us to. No, they have no choice. They're absolutely blocked in, and you have to believe that you've got to be bought in, that there is no choice but to press forward. Especially with the stakes being as high as they are. Yeah, you're, huge you're, amount you're of screwed. pressure, one direction. It reminds me of those uh, those press videos on YouTube you know, where they basically put stuff into it. Into oh, a yeah. Press. Oh, what, yeah. You know, they put toys, they put metal, and you just... What, you those know, are put, so like, satisfying to watch. It's insane. Oh, God, they are. Oh, yeah. Especially the one that's got the holes around the edge, and you see whatever is inside basically bursts up into streams of colored rainbow from within the holes that it squeezes them out of. Well, that's... That is our do-gooders. They've been pressed. <laughs> and they have no choice but to escape through these little confined holes. Enormous amount of pressure. One of, one of the things I kind of liked, and it's not per se a reference, but it's a, a shorthand, which is this idea that you could disconnect the person, and it's called loboing, lobo logout. Yes. Right? And I thought that this was particularly fascinating. Because what I presume Lobo logout means is that it lobotomizes them more or, often than not. Or potentially. Yep. Well, 10% make it through, but the, the 10% who make it through have been, and this is terrifying, looping through the last second for what could seem like months or years to the user. So imagine your state of mind reliving the last second over so and over. That's like the... The movie Judge Dredd? I don't know. I remember Judge Dredd. I don't remember that, but it does kind of remind me of the recent Loki series. I haven't where... seen any of that, but it's the, the, I'm pretty sure it's the Judge Dredd movie with, that had Lena Headey in it. Was that the one with? Carl Urban, I think, was uh, Judge Dredd. Oh, okay. Then no, I've not seen it. So, like, the premise of this, bear in mind, it's been as many years since it was in the theater that I last saw it. Okay. But there was this drug that people were taking that made them experience time really slow. Okay. So like if you, if somebody took this drug and then they were thrown off of the roof of their building, mm -hmm. they would experience their forthcoming death in extraordinarily slow motion. That's wow. what this reminds So you just complete terror for moments. Well, in, in Loki, in one of the episodes, they put him basically into a time prison. That time prison is putting him in a moment in time where he ended up pissing off one of the other Asgardians. And she'd come in and basically tell him what kind of asshole he was and then slap him and kick him in the nuts and then walk out. And then that would repeat over and over again. And he could control like what he said, but he couldn't control the fact that it would repeat. And he would have to convince her, it basically forcing him to say, I'm an asshole, I'm sorry. And still, it would kick him. But imagine just the last second, just one second. So you mentioned, though, the slowing down of time. And I find that super interesting because there are books that deal with, again, time or the dilation of time. But I don't mean that so much in a matter of traveling. But I mean that is that if you are a machine, you can slow down or speed up, basically, time as you perceive it. And what we're talking about is your mental refresh rate, right? But imagine if you could control your refresh rate. You could make a second seem like a year if you could have an unlimited number of refreshes in a given period of time. If one second was 20 hertz or a million hertz. 20 hertz is 20 moments of change perceived. A million would be a million moments of change perceived. So when we talk in this book about a limitation of time, 
And we also talk about Anorak saying, well, I've run millions of scenarios. Like this has all been played out a million times. Well, sure, he could have like done the processing and the simulator and whatnot. But frankly, he could have done it over a very short period of time by ramping up that refresh rate and condensing the actual time. So it's interesting that they talk about the Lobo logout and that a person might log out, but they might experience that last second stretched over the period of months or years, which tells <laughs> me that the system has a refresh rate control system, that it can also control your time, your perception of time. And if that was the case, imagine if there was some technical way for the team to slow down time or slow down their perception of time. They could take 12 hours and turn it into a year, and that would give them plenty of time to run around and do what they need to do. Like if everyone else was moving slowly, they could run around and they could do whatever they so needed to do in the environment. To, Sorry, to be ahead. the Flash. Kind of to be the Flash. Yeah, that's how you would see it. To the Flash, he's just running at normal speed. Everyone else, it's just whipping around. You don't even see him. So I, you know, that's another thought that kind of crossed my mind is that we're, we've, he, they've already mentioned this ability to control time, potentially twice in a very light sort of way. And I kind of wonder if that might be a, a technical thing that while we can't bring them out, maybe we can give them more time by allowing them to perceive time without it hindering them, without them feeling like they're moving slow, if that makes any sense, basically boosting their refresh rate. Anyhow, anyhow. Again, I don't know. I'm guessing, but that I feel was pretty, like pretty nice aside there. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of hopeful. I'm hoping that maybe the engineers come up with a trick that may not get them out, but works within the system. And I kind of wonder if this shit's not being mentioned now to be used in the future. Well, you know how Klein writes. I do. I do. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bless. So let's talk about, can we talk about the legal stuff? Absolutely. Like, there's a lot of focus on this. There's a lot of fucking focus on this. Well, they are running the largest, most profitable business in the entire world. So there should be mm -hmm. some discussion about this. <laughs> when every moment is precious and they take a moment, minutes to discuss to how yep. to deal with telling everybody they can't get out and to lie and not tell them the tr truth, to lie and not tell them the truth. It feels kind of like a setup. Like, like Faisal's like, we're trying to figure this shit out. Oh, by the way, let's uh, let's not tell anyone about this because we want to reduce liability, even though when they press the button, they know it's an experimental system and they're agreeing to it. Let's not make everyone panic. Don't panic. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I mean, I kind of half get that because if an asteroid was coming to Earth and there was nothing we as a civilization could do, and we're talking about big, we're talking about like small planet size, like, like big, right? It's going to kill everyone. Would you tell everyone? I, I'd stop paying my bills. <laughs> but would you? Would If you had the power to tell everyone, would you? And they believe you. Not just like some conspiracy theory nut bullshit where they're just going to toss it aside. I mean, literally, you're the person's like, here's proof. It's 
coming for us. It's big. We're going to die. Sorry. And you knew a month in advance and everyone would believe you. Would you tell everyone? I mean, it's, yeah. Like, how do you answer that question? Because like, do you tell everybody because they have a right to know? Or do you say, let them enjoy the last month as opposed to like it turning into absolute chaos? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I'm there. I don't think I would tell everyone. Part of me is kind of like I should tell the truth. Like people should want to know. People should have the right to quit work and spend those moments with their family. But then if everybody quits work, then... Then everything falls apart. And for that yeah. last month, life is chaos. People, and people... everyone's life gets worse. And then what that last, well, the it, it'll last just month mean is... Less people will die when the asteroid hits because they've already been dead. Yeah, and, and if your real concern is that, that their last month or their last moment should be as pleasurable or as great as possible, I don't see how that can be a good thing to tell anyone because it's just going to deteriorate know. their moment. I don't think I'd want to know. I, well, yeah, I might want to know like an hour beforehand. It would be nice to have a news article or a news, news station comes out and says, we're all going to die in about an hour. That's enough time. It's not enough time for everything to go crazy. It's enough time for people to call their family, tell them that they love them, hang out, watch the TV, go into the backyard, look up at the sky. It's enough time to yeah, get the lawn chairs out and watch the show. Kind of. Yeah. So I, I kind of get not wanting to tell everyone, but this angle of, well, we can't tell everyone because we don't want to be held liable. And it's kind of like, son of a bitch, dude, you won't be alive by the end of the day. If, it's one of those things that's kind of like, it will get out. <laughs> it would get out and people are going to start dying soon. And we talked about this last episode, but people are going to start dying. The minute that first person dies is when shit's going to start hitting the fan. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, they, maybe, I mean, how, how do you make this decision? Like, I mean, I guess like they've already, they're technically not liable because people agreed to, to use the system knowing that it was risky. But right now they got to, they got to play the long game. Right. And I don't know if there was really another choice to make. So like, okay. if I, I was in that room, I'd probably would have said the same thing. Like, let's just say there's a little probby, got a little probby on our hands, but we'll, we'll work it out. Right. Right. And, and then, of course, you're going to flash something that they've got to agree not to sue. I mean. Well, like, what do you do when you're backed into a corner, right? So Yeah. Like, we'll give you money. Just don't say anything about them after do, us. Do you think that if. A drug dealer was dealing their stuff and said, if you use this, you can't sue me. Yeah, they don't like, care. <laughs> signing a, Fine. It's signing a no-fault clause or waiver. If you overdose, that's on you. Literally. Like, fine, It'll whatever. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Just give me my shit. So I, I, this really focused in on the whole how do we tell everybody stuff. And I guess they, you have to address this because what are you going to do? I mean, I guess they didn't really have to address this. They could have just gone at it and run out the door and start their shit and get going. But that they spent so much time actually talking about this makes me wonder if we're going to revisit this decision later. You know, there, there was a, it wasn't just a tell them whatever they need to hear to, to keep them from killing each other. We're on the case. They could have just said that. But they spent, they spent a good period of time really dealing with kind of the legal shit in this chapter. So I wonder if we're going to, I just wonder if we're going to, again, this is one of those things that's like, remember a couple of chapters ago, I was like, what, why are they telling us about the firmware update? What, why are they telling us that the countdown's in the visor? Like they spent a moment fucking talking about it. And then the following chapter, they're like, ha ha. And this is why I kind of feel like maybe this is one of those. Ha -has. Yeah. All right. So finally, 
they're getting down to business, running out, and Artie's like, I can't go with you guys. And she straps that phone to her chest, and she puts on her parachute. At this point, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, everyone so she's learned how to parachute. I mean, I guess... Yeah. Yes, an airplane comes with parachutes. I imagine a private jet uh, might come with parachutes. Uh, I don't know. When did she learn how to jump out of a plane? You know what? When you got billions of dollars, you might you might have learned how to jump out of a plane in the Oasis. You might have yeah, gone. Yeah, but wouldn't that oh, be a much right. more she fun would, experience? She wouldn't have. O&I. Though. That's just it. Is she wouldn't have because she didn't use O and I. She could get a sense of it, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't. I. This is one scene that I caution against on. Well, you don't think she would have done it. I don't think she would know how to. I don't think she I, could. I imagine, I'm pretty sure you just strap it on, chink, 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 and then open door and jump. No. But it's more than that. There's got to be like, it's like, a, you, there's got to be like a little trifold in the plane that has what like the do, pictures what to, of what, what to, to do. do. When you're skydiving out of a plane for the very first time, don't panic. And here's how you avoid getting killed. So, all right. I, I hear your shenanigans. I'm going to call a reverse card. Okay. I think that if anybody was to know what to do, in reality, in that moment, it would be her. Everyone else is trying jumping out of a plane from someone else's perspective because they've got their O&I goggles on, right? They're, They're going through everyone else's experiences in reality. She wouldn't. She would live life to the fullest and she would do it her damn self. Because by God, be damned if everyone else is doing it through someone else's experience. She would do it herself. She has a private jet. She has the, the pecs on that jet. For all we know, she's done it before. But if anybody was to do it in reality, amongst the five of them, it would be Artie. Because she's long argued doing it in the real, right? More so now. I mean, don't be wrong. Like She's still in the Oasis and whatnot, but she's now tripping to other countries putting together businesses to help people out, that and, kind of thing. And I'm sure every time she went to a new place, she would skydive out. out of the she, plane. She just, yeah, like, exactly. Just land in the village or whatever. It's like, sure. hi, guys. It's the Artemis Foundation. But I mean, of all of them, I would buy her being able to do that than anyone else. I, yeah, I would say of all of them, she'd be the most likely to want to do real life experiences over simulated because for one, she's the only one not using an ONI, so she can't do it in a way that's not going to be putting herself at risk. Yeah, but I, I, I'm still calling shenanigans on it. I, I think if she was spending her time doing anything, it would have been on her foundation and doing all that stuff. She wouldn't have been taking time to learn how to skydive. It's too random. I, and I mean, like jumping out of the plane part, once you get over the whole, like I'm jumping out of a plane thing, and I'm sure that if part of that deal was the pilot of the plane was going to keep you there hostage and potentially kill you, then you take your chances and you say, yeah, maybe I have a better chance if I just try jumping out with a parachute. But she does a lot more than just jump out of the plane. Yeah, she's she pursued. Jumps out of the plane. Well, it's not just pursuit. She's And if you're falling and you don't have any practice, based on people I've seen who fell without practice, I, your ability to control yourself in the air is difficult, but she was able to get on her back fall backwards, flip off the plane, right? See the plane through her camera. So she's tumbled and now she's falling backwards. This is somebody who apparently has experience, is able to not go into an uncontrolled spin while falling through the air. Yeah, that's why I'm calling shenanigans. And then being able to turn and then pop the chute. And then when she realizes the plane's coming for her, cuts the chute, 
falls, plane misses, and then hits the backup chute. Um, that, uh, even if she had experience jumping out of a, a plane for, you know, skydiving and all that stuff, to have the fortitude to do that in that situation. I don't think so. You don't think no. being on in the Oasis and having the fortitude to survive through all the shit that you have to experience wouldn't kind of lend itself over the, to the, having that kind of fortitude in reality? No, I don't. I, I disagree. I, I think you're too insulated if you're in the Oasis when, especially like now, like if you're presumably some level of immortal or, you know, million hit points kind of thing or infinite hit points. You know, See, like, I attribute it, my ability... Protected. I attribute my ability to master the the laser tag arena with children because I play Battlefield regularly with friends. Okay, but try this on. Does being a laser tag aficionado make you suddenly well-equipped to handle like a real-life shootout scenario? No, I'm just no. saying that playing video games translated into a real-world situation. Now, don't get me wrong, like, I'm the oldest dude there, and I'm fucking wet with sweat, and I'm fucking panting, but when, they're, when they say, oh, Mr. Pink, number one, and the kids are like, the hell? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're clapping like, very good, bravo, you know, slow, slow clap to me. And I'm like, thank you, just give me the ticket. Uh, got it. Bring some water. Bring some water. I'm just dying here. Paddles. It's, it's, I take a little pride in that, but I attribute that to to playing video games. It's the same kind of mentality, the same movement. You're going down the, the scope, so I have the gun placed at my head, laser pistol, laser rifle, and and, and I, I can own an arena, being 46. That sounds like fun. It's a blast. Anyways, but, uh, but yeah, okay, so she pops out the door, plane's coming for her. we're getting to the end of this chapter, she lands with a bit of a thud, phone goes black, and what they end up seeing is the plane coming right at her, and then pulling up, and then exploding over a park. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about her, the landing part. So she's landing. Okay. And if I memory serves, not exactly smooth terrain. No, it was like in the woods near a park. In the woods. She's going through the, the tree chute. So she's probably going much faster than she would if she had a regular chute. I, I which... know I can't say. I, the, the backup chute's always like the smaller chute. I've only that parachuted she... in the O&I. I've never done it for real. Yeah, well. All I'm saying is she had no way to be able to do that. And like, like, let's say she had some experience with real skydiving mm -hmm. landing with a backup chute. No. Well, backup chute isn't like a fucking backup wheel on your car, right? It's not, it's, it's, a, it's supposed to work. It's it's better than nothing, but it's not as no, good as the real thing. No, it's not better than nothing. It's a shoot. It's better than, it's as good, should be as good as. Like, you know, like, again, you're not rolling down no, the street it, with a spare it's, tire. It's not the same size as the, the big parachute. It's not. I don't know. It would be good for somebody who's listening to let You've up. You've never played a video a game what about parachuting? Uh, yeah, I've, never, I've never had to use the second shoot in a video game. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, don't get me wrong. Like in Battlefield, you can just jump off of a roof and spread your parachute and land like five feet later. It's not one to one, unfortunately. But and if I treated it like it was, I would be dead. Uh, so it would be good to know. Are you fucking reading to see if it's the same kind of shoot? You I bitch. am. You bastard. To hail. It's probably more porous so that it's not as it's not as heavy because you're not always going to use the damn thing, and it's probably smaller. So you're probably just. I think you're going much faster. I don't know. 
It, it, it would be pointless to have a backup parachute if you couldn't land in a controlled and slow way. I'm sure it is making you slower and more controlled than if you were just free-falling. But... <laughs> I don't mean slower. Like, <laughs> if you're going fast when you hit the ground, parachute or not, it can kill you. I imagine that there is some degree of regular control there, even though it might not be rated, let's say, for always being used as a primary chute. Anyway, okay, we can figure so, that out later. So you, you the, tell backup me next parachute, the backup parachute contained in every legal airworthy skydiving system where the main canopy is built to be fast, agile, and fun. The reserve is designed for a quick on-heading deployment and a smooth ride to the ground that's comparatively slower for landing. Wow, slower, huh? When you're under reserve, chances are you're pretty darn into the idea of taking it easy. But she's like, fuck this two-bit Gandalf wannabe. I was like, yeah, that's, I guess that's what this is. She's had it. She's like, fuck it. Any respect that she had for Anorak, just out the fucking door. Are you still, are you still hung up on parachutes? Are you still up. hung up on parachutes? Shut up. Is this not taking you to a slow landing conclusion? I'm still coming to the same conclusion that she couldn't have done that. Couldn't have done what? Falling through trees slowly? And be expected to... Live? Yeah. That's what backup parachutes do. They bring you in slowly so that you will live. But you're, they're also expecting you're going to land in like a clearing, not necessarily in trees. Like like crash landing into a forest is a recipe for potentially getting seriously injured. Oh, sure. No doubt about that. I mean, you're talking about a fucking a bunch of meat skewers. Is really what you're you're coming into here if you're not careful. I I get that. Fine. But beyond the fact, just before the big explosion, the plane pulls up. It goes into a nosedive towards her, and then it pulls up at the last minute and explodes over the park. And everyone else is convinced, no way, that she got out of that. Like it would be unlikely. She's she is just a human. But my thinking is Anarch needs her as much as he needs everyone else. And much as he told Parzival, if I didn't kill her, if she didn't get punished, then you would question, you know, my authenticity in the moment, my seriousness of what I watch. It's unfortunate she had to die. She left me no choice, which is kind of fucked up in, in its rationale. But left me no choice. If I was Anorak, I would have made it look like she had been killed, but I would leave a way for her to escape because I know I would need her potentially in the game. Because he probably knows that she's one of the smartest. I mean, he's going to need you her. You've got to assume that they're all pretty darn smart because they all won the contest. Fine. But of all of them, potentially, first off, she is the motivator. She is the driver in this situation. She is driving the team. She is keeping them up. She is telling them it can be done. He needs her to be able to tell them to do that, to keep going, to not lose hope, right? That is what she does for a living. She's trying to help the world so that everybody doesn't lose hope. Everyone else who's working on a giant spaceship has already lost hope. He it's needs up. her to keep them going. So uh, I think that Anorak pulled that plane up in the last moment and made it look like he tried to kill her, but purposefully did not, but played it off like he did, because that's what I would do if I was hit and needed that person alive. Well, you got to be the next chapter to find out. Damn. Well, technically, I already have, but it has been a while since I've read it. So I'm looking forward to listening to it again. But uh, yeah, I think that covers it, man. Have we rung this one out? Are we good? <sighs> this was more like just straightforward story. Yeah. And, and I'll take it because it it was... We're in a stressful it, time. Don't throw a bunch of weird shit at me. Yeah, it, it felt like we were reading 
you know, pages out of an action movie or something like that. And at least towards the end, the legal stuff like, oh, how do we get out of this? That just whatever. But, you know, it was a tense moment. And, you know, it made you wonder, you know, what's going to happen in the next chapter? Yeah. What yeah, happened it, to Samantha? It, um, it was so captivating and so much of a cliffhanger that I evidently couldn't help myself and totally did not <gasps> hear that I had moved into the next chapter. Uh, we are still in the realm of what I know, but that's okay. Because as it turns out, when you give enough time be <laughs> between readings, uh, you forget shit. So, all right. Well, let's wrap it up, dude. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And thank you for listening. We will catch you in the next chapter. See you.